Well, I've had the joy of uh, meeting Dr. Graber. He passed me on a physical for wrestling. I wasn't allowed to wrestle, some heart thing. And he said, ah, bring him in here. We'll check him out. And he said, go for it. You'll be fine. Well, he was right, you know. Then I went to the first practice, and I was like, ah, I wish he'd have said no. Uh, we just got done uh, participating in uh, what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. And we have the loaf and the cup. And you guys, most of you, I think, know what this means, or, or at least what it represents, what it stands for, right? The loaf, and you can participate in this, the loaf represents what? It's bought right. The cup represents what? His blood. That's right, his blood. You, you might be familiar with the, I'm sure you are, the saying garbage in, garbage out. Uh, and that happens with a lot of things. Happens with what we hear, uh, happens with what we see, uh, you know, what, 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 who we spend our time around, I mean, all kinds of stuff. It also happens with, with what we eat. You know, if you're taking in nutritious food, right, uh, you, you have the, the energy and, and, and your body, you know, is not falling apart. But if you take in Twinkies and, and, and pop all day long and that's all you eat, well, y- there's evidence of that too. You know, your energy level and your body and so forth. Um, Sam has never seen me or doesn't remember me without a, a beard or what I call a beard. Um, and... Uh, the other day, I cut it kind of short. I just kind of like it that way. And, and uh, went out, and I said, well, what do you think, buddy? He says, wow. He says, two things. He says, number one, he says, you look younger. I said, yeah, yeah, I know that. And then he grabbed my face like this. To he says, and also, Dad, your chin is going down. <laughs> Thank you, son. And everybody thinks that. Nobody says it, though, right? It takes him. It takes a child to say that stuff. I played it off as though that's just the way it happens, you know? Well, that's the way it happens to everybody, pal. That's just, that's just life, you know? Garbage in, garbage out. Maybe I shouldn't be eating what I'm eating. But there's also life in and life out. You know, if, 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 if there's bad stuff in and then bad stuff comes out, well, the same is true with good stuff in. And good stuff out. We don't eat sometimes. We don't consume sometimes enough of the good stuff. In order for that good stuff to shape who we are. I mean, I'm not talking about vegetables and things. I don't, let's not get crazy. But there's other good stuff that we can take in. And you've probably done the same thing I have. You sit down to dinner, right? And it's, it's, it's another battle. And I would get the kids to eat dinner, Right? Now, you're going to sit there, and you're going to eat that dinner, and you're not going to move from that spot. You know, finally they muddle through it, and they don't like it. What happens an hour later? They come to you, and they say what? I'm hungry. And we say the same thing. Everybody in this room says the same thing at least once. Well, if you would have eaten your dinner, you wouldn't be hungry. And, and he knows if you don't eat your dinner, why are you coming? Because you're not going to get anything, right? 
You're not getting anything, pal. You're not eating for the next two hours, whatever it is, before you go to bed. If we would just eat, we wouldn't be hungry. The things we consume changes us. It changes us emotionally and mentally. Shapes our personality, which is fine. We all have different personalities. You know, I, I love that. We all had the same personality. It would be horrible. We all had different personalities. Problem is, it can even shape our character, though. I mean, the core of us. It can shape our priorities. Physically, it quite literally, the things we consume become a part of us and who we are and what we are. And also, when we take in food physically, it satisfies a craving, right? Craving or a longing. It, it, it tries to ease those hunger pangs. Guys, spiritually, it is no different. And, and, and I've noticed this. I've noticed this through life, but I've also noticed this through bad times and good times, selfish times and unselfish times, times that, that, that I feel sorry for myself and, and, and times I don't. What we do spiritually, what we take in spiritually changes us. We take it in and it becomes our very definition. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that we can be challenged by Jesus' words. We thank you that they are Jesus' words. We thank you that we can trust what he has to say. I, we thank you that what he says is for our benefit, even though it's, it, it's hard to do and sometimes hard to understand. We thank you, Father, for just this incredible love that he, he, never, he never goes through life. He never asks us to go through life without challenging us in some way. And so, Father, I ask that we are challenged today or maybe reaffirmed today in the words of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Turn with me, if you have your Bibles with you, to uh, John chapter 6. And uh, we'll br- briefly recap. Last week, we realized that uh, we're, we're challenging ourselves throughout this series to embrace the foolishness of the gospel. That's what, that's what Paul calls it, the foolishness of the gospel. That the gospel message, or the Bible itself, is foolishness to those who want nothing to do with Jesus. It's just crazy. It's nuts. And so we say, well, we might as well embrace that. We might as well make that a part of our life, what we called crazy. You might as well embrace these kind of crazy things in Scripture if we're going to profess Jesus Christ. If we're going to profess who who He is and what He is and our relationship to Him, we might as well embrace this. And we called that holy. We learned from 1 Peter that we are commanded by God to be different. Commanded to be different. It's, it's not allowed to be different. Uh, it's, it's not this, uh, this, this, this suggestion that we ought to be different. It is a command multiple places in Scripture to be different, set apart, special, sacred. Paul uses, or Peter uses the word holy. Jesus uses the same word in our English translation. It's perfect. Paul uses the same word in our English translation. It is mature or complete. The same thing. We are called to be set apart and sacred. It's a command from God, if we can accept that. Now, if we can't accept that, we're going to continue to live our lives in two different kingdoms. The kingdom of the world, or our kingdom, and the eternal kingdom of Jesus Christ. Because we believe in Jesus. We just don't want to give our whole life to Him, do we? Don't tell me you don't struggle with this. I struggle with this every day. 
giving every thought, decision, moment, selfish moment, anger, and frustration. So we straddle this kingdom, these two kingdoms. But we need to just accept that we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be sacred. And if we do that, we can begin to embrace the crazy things of Scripture. And there are perhaps fewer, I love it, I love it, I'm I'm telling you, I just love every bit of it. There are perhaps fewer statements that are more crazy or more foolish than this one from Jesus. He says this a couple of different times in a couple of different ways, but John chapter 6, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now, if there's someone coming in from the outside who's never heard of Jesus, doesn't know Scripture, and this is the first thing they hear and they read, they're going to say, that is nuts. I want nothing to do with this group of people. And I don't blame them. It sounds crazy, doesn't it? You got me, Yahtzee, I'm out of here. I'm not coming back, right? But just like everything else, we have to see it in its proper context. Look, we know this sounds crazy because many of Jesus' followers left him after he taught this very difficult teaching. In order to understand exactly what it means, again, just like everything else, we see it in its proper context. But I will tell you what it's not talking about. I will tell you what it's not talking about. This line in Scripture, this lesson in Scripture is not talking about communion. It's not talking about the Lord's Supper. I hear this a lot. I get this a lot. It's not talking about the Lord's Supper. They're connected. They're connected. But Jesus' statement here is not telling these people that there's going to come a time when you're going to participate in this sacrament. No, no. Jesus wants us to participate in this sacrament to remind us of what he says here. This is the point. Communion's talking about this. This is not talking about communion. And that's why we do this. That's why we, we participate in this other kind of weird, crazy thing every Sunday, to participate in the body and blood of Jesus. So in its full context, Jesus is teaching in chapter 6. He's teaching thousands of people. And he's teaching them all day long. And you guys have heard this story, right? You're familiar with teaching the 5,000, at least 5,000 men there. There's probably more than that. Uh, You know, women and children, they probably never had an accurate count of anybody because they only counted the guys. I don't know why they did that, but that's what they did. And so Jesus is teaching thousands of people, and he's teaching them all day long. These are people who are physically following Jesus around. If Jesus goes to this town, this group of people goes with him. And it's thousands of people. Jesus goes over here, these people go with him. They want to hear what he has to say at least. They want to be in the vicinity of Jesus. For our purposes, these are the people who believe in God. This was a Jewish audience. They believed in God the Creator and God of the Old Testament. The question is, are they holy? Are they holy? Not just do they believe in God, but do they believe God? And there are a lot of people that believe in God. Scant few who actually believe God. Put it this way. And I think this is a good question for them. It's a good question for us. Do they want... Ask yourself this question, please. i got to tell you, I ask myself this question all the time. I usually answer incorrectly, but... Do they want what Jesus has to offer? Or do they simply want what they want and they hope Jesus delivers? 
Do they want what Jesus has to offer? Or do they just want whatever they want, and they're just really hoping Jesus comes through for them? You see, that's the difference between believing in God and believing God. So many times, we're not following Jesus. We're following ourselves, and, and our, our two interests just happen to align for a while. And the question is, true for you, true for me. I'll tell you, every time I'm confronted with what I really want to do and what I ought to do, what I want to say and what I ought to say, the way I want to react and the way I ought to react, I ask myself that same question, man, who do you serve? Are you following Jesus or are you following you? And you're just really hoping Jesus approves. Are they holy? Do they believe God or are they just believing in God? The people are hungry and the 12 disciples around Jesus, his kind of close circle, he tells, they tell Jesus, send the people away and tell them to go looking for food. But Jesus tells them, no, you feed them. You feed them. And again, here, he's not just talking about the physical. He's saying, look, you're my students, you're my church, you're my disciples. These people need something. You can feed them. You feed them. Don't send them away. You're here. They're here. You're here now. You feed them. So the disciples say that this is impossible, but one of them says, hey, look, Jesus, we did find this kid, right? He's got some fish. He's got some bread, but that's it. Jesus says that's enough. That's enough. Why is that enough? Because we're putting something that we have in the hands of the creator of the universe. And Jesus is about to feed him. Jesus is about to do what people think Jesus ought to do. Jesus is about to be what people think Jesus ought to be. I'm hungry, give me some food, you're a nice guy. That's what they think Jesus ought to be. The the, the, the disciples are about to be with the church, what people think the church ought to be. I need something temporary right now. I need something. You're nice. You're the church. Give it to me. And, and, and if that's the case, if that's all Jesus was, if that's all the church is, then there's no craziness there at all. There's no controversy there at all. He's simply a tool that we could use. The church is simply a tool that we can use. Jesus says, have the people sit down. In John 6, 10 through 11, there's plenty of grass in that place. They sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed them distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same thing with the fish. He gave them some physical nourishment. He gave them some stuff. And by the way, charity is good. That's one of the fundamental principles. You cannot have the church without charity. That is impossible. Go through Acts. Read the foundation. Go through Peter. Go through James. It's impossible to separate the two. All right? However, that is not the point. That's not the point. Charity may lead us to a transformation of the life. But the charity itself is not the point. He can feed them some food. He can feed them some bread. But you really think that that's the point Jesus is trying to make? He's going to go a lot bigger than that. He's going to go a lot deeper than that. I don't just want to fill your belly. I want to transform your whole life, he says. 14 and 15, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, after they saw this miracle, these people all sitting around here, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into this world. Surely this is the guy that the Old Testament's talking about. Why? Because of this miracle we just saw right here. 
By the way, a miracle that served us. That's what it was. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew to a mountain by himself. And he stayed up there all afternoon. He was praying. Separating himself from this group of people, he was praying. They saw the miracle in front of them. They saw this miracle that served them. But everything Jesus does is leading to a real and lasting transformation. You see, Jesus doesn't just want to serve us. He doesn't even want us just to serve others. He wants to challenge us to be something different, to be something new. He wants us to challenge us to be different today than we were yesterday. He wants, us to, he wants to challenge us to be an eternal being. He and his disciples then, that night, they go to the other side of the lake, Sea of Galilee there. They go to the other side during the night. And that's an incredible story in and of itself. You should read through that. But that's not the point of our lesson today. In the morning, Jesus is on the other side of the lake. He's in Capernaum. All right? he, he makes his way into a synagogue there, the local church building. And the people on the other side of the lake follow him. They wake up. They realize Jesus is in here. They were staying out all night. You know, they, they wake up. Jesus isn't around. Where is he? Hey, I heard he went over to the other side of the lake. So they all get in the rest of their boats that are all inside the lake. They get in and they start following the same group. The same group. Same group that's here. Gets in the boat. I all follow Jesus across the lake. You can read that in uh, verse, uh, verse 24 of chapter 6. The problem is they are following him for the wrong reasons. We know this because Jesus says as much. Again, they've got their feet in two different kingdoms. A worldly kingdom, an earthly kingdom, their own kingdom. And oh yes, I do believe in Jesus. They want to have their cake and eat it too, right? He and his disciples make it to the other side. The rest of the people follow. John 6, 25-27, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you're looking for me. Not because you saw the signs. Well, we could add more to that if we wanted to, if we dare. Not because of what I said. Not because of the teaching you heard. Not because you saw the signs. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. You're following me because I gave you what you wanted. You're following me because I gave you what you wanted instead of challenging you. Jesus says, your feet are so planted in the immediate temporary kingdom. Planted in the common kingdom, not the holy one. And this is what, planted in the easy kingdom. Right? Can we... Can we when it comes to our spiritual walk, and you don't have to do this here, you don't have to do this today, but at least while you're by yourself, can we just make sure we cut out the nonsense? We want to stay in the worldly kingdom because it's easy. That's it. A holy kingdom is difficult. That's hard. We have to discipline ourselves. We've got to do stuff we don't naturally want to do. We have to think things we don't naturally want to think. And so we want to stay in the earthly kingdom, or at least a part of us in the earthly kingdom, because it's easy. That's what it is. But we're called to be separate. We're called to be different. We're called to be holy. We're called to be sacred. And you're not going to be sacred when you're hanging out, when you're spending time in a fallen kingdom. We're called to do something more, something greater. We're called to be in a kingdom that challenges us to transform. 
Verse 27, don't work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Again, consuming something changes what you are. Now we know what Jesus is starting to get at here. He said, look, you guys are eating the bread, the temporary bread. He says, fine. But, but don't be focused on that. I want you to consume what and who I am. The way I think. The way I work. The way I see things. The priorities I have in my life. The submission I have to the Father. The love I have for other people. I want you to consume what I am. And it's going to change who you are. It's going to become a part of your definition. Again, this is why we have to see this in the context of the physical bread. This is one big lesson that Jesus is teaching. The next day, he says, now you've eaten the bread, now take my life and consume me. Now use that to sustain you. Why? Why? Why use that? Because I fed you guys physical food yesterday. I gave you what you wanted. And today, here you are again because you're depleted. You need more. It ran out. It's not sufficient to fill this hole, this gap that's inside of you. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Jesus says, quit focusing on that as the most important thing. He says, you've got to consume my very definition, and that never lets you down. In fact, it begins to build and strengthen and more and more and more as the Spirit grows, as we submit to more to the Spirit that lives in us, moves us, directs us, guides us. And so in verse 28, the people say, all right, we get it. What should we do? One of the works that God requires, Jesus says, then he replies in verse 29, guys, it's not about works. It's about me, he says. You got to believe me. You got to give your life to me. You got to immerse yourself in me. You got to trust me. Use me to give you life. All of me. All I have to give. That's why he uses the picture of the body and bread, or uh, the body and the blood. He says, This is everything I have. And I want it to be you. I want to change your very nature from dead to alive. See, that's what Jesus offers. I want to change your nature from dead to alive. I want to make you a king. I want to give you an eternal kingdom. I want to give you eternal joy. I want you to be able to get up, look in the mirror every day, and know for certain that I have mission, value, and purpose in this life. And what is my value? The life of a God and king. That's my value. And time after time after time, people say, no thanks. I'll just take the bread. Just give me the bread. Look, can we, can we, this is taking too long. Can, can you just give me the bread and let me go on about my way? Can you just give me the bread and let me go on about my life? You're, you're asking a lot here. I'm just, I don't, I don't want to do that. Jesus says, I'm, I'm giving you everything from dead to alive. Well, say, they say the same thing many people say. All right, prove it. Prove it. That's what they say to Jesus. Prove it. Verses 30 and 31. So they asked him, what sign are you going to give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness as it's written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Did they not? It's the same group. 
Did they not remember yesterday? Surely this is the prophet that has come. Tell you what, let's make him king by force. It's the same group. I'll wait to give my life to Jesus until he does something, right? Until he gives me a sign. Until he gives me a man. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because that is one more thing that's going to be depleted by the next day. And you're going to want something else. And you're going to want the next sign. And you're going to want the next something that he does to serve you. Because you're not bellying up to the banquet of life here. And saying, I'll consume everything you've got. One day later, 24 hours, and they've already forgotten that they wanted to make him king because of yesterday's miracle. It's not about the next sign that you're going to have. It's not about the next, the, the, the next ser- moment of service. It's not about the next lesson that you're going to have. It's about knowing that Jesus is the creator of your life and he is the sustainer of your life. And you know that in your mind, in your heart, you've got a battle that rages back and forth all the time. I know I do. Usually in the form of anger. And I mean anger. Back and forth, back and forth. Because that's just as part of this kingdom I haven't given over to Jesus. That's a part of his body, his life, his character that I haven't consumed yet. Very truly, I tell you, Jesus says in 32 and 33, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread from heaven, guys. It was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven right now. What's he telling them? Look, guys, even that manna from thousands of years ago in the wilderness, even that was pointing to me. Everything is pointing to Jesus. All the stuff you see, this saga that unfolds in front of you as you go through the Old Testament, is all pointing to Jesus. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jump down to 49 through 51. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone can eat of and not die. Look, I know the physical body is going to wear out. All right, that happens. We get more chins, it happens, right? Things happen. But the eternal self, the real self, the spiritual self, lives forever, and that only comes through Jesus. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus tells Satan in Matthew chapter 4, when he is tempted to break his fast prematurely. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, he says, It's written, man shall not live on bread alone. Don't think for a second. Don't think for a second that you're getting life out of that. He says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I love that word alone there. Jesus says, look, I get that you have to eat food for the physical body. But that is half of what you need for life. You're going through life malnourished. Hey, have you ever seen, um, you should look this up. Have you ever seen what, what cyclists eat who are, who are racing the Tour de France? Have you ever seen a picture of that stuff? Like their morning breakfast? It's, it's like half a dining room table. About 10,000 calories. And they're just, I mean, taking it all down, Right? You know, 
I mean, they're, they're, about, they're about that big around, right? And they're just, I mean, they're just eating this stuff. They need it, don't they? Why? Because they're in a race and they got to work real hard to get through that race. Guys, we're in a race too. Paul calls it a race. He says, run the race with perseverance. Finish well. And we go through our race. You go through your race of life. I go through my race of life. If I'm not consuming the character of Christ, malnourished. Only half the meal. And we wonder why we have the questions. We wonder why we have the anxiety. We wonder why we have the anger and the rage. We wonder why we have this pride problem. We don't even eat that stuff. We don't even eat the stuff that cures it. We eat half the meal. We need to be in the habit of eating the full meal. It's, it's painful to get hungry. And we're looking for stuff to fill that up. And we look for the right drink or the right drug. But more than that, we look for the right spouse. We look for the right job, the right position, the right title. We look for the right reputation. We look for the right amount of money. That's going to do it. That's going to fill this hunger pang. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. You're going to be hungry again tomorrow. The people saw the miracles, wanted to make Jesus king, said he was the prophet, and the next day it wasn't enough. You're going to be hungry again tomorrow. I'm going to be hungry again tomorrow. Even words of comfort without believing Jesus will leave you hungry. I've, been taught, I've, taught, I've done this. I've sat by a bedside before, talked to the person about believing in Jesus, says, I don't believe in Jesus, but I want to hear words of comfort from you. I said, I can't give you any. Walked into, guys, one time, one time, I was fed up. I walked into his, his hospital room. He's laying there. I walked in. I grabbed the chair, and I sat it down by his bed, and I told him, sit up. And he sat up. I said, brother, you got three days left. Do you believe in Jesus or not? Because there's nothing else I can give you. You keep calling me in here and wanting me to comfort you. And yet every day, you're empty. Every day, you feel depleted. I got people asking me all the time. One time I told a guy, that's why we believe in Jesus, brother. I'm sorry that your friend died, but that's why we believe in Jesus, because death happens. Even words will leave you empty. If you don't give your life to Christ, if you don't consume what he is. And I'm tired of this. I'm tired of hearing it from Christians. I wish there was something else. I wish there was something more. I'm tired of so many words that lack any kind of depth. Because everybody in life is hungry for the same thing. Mission, value, purpose, peace, contentment, love, certainty of life. Every person you've ever met wants those things. Some people go about it horrible ways. But we want this fullness, this lack of emptiness in our gut. We want to be satisfied. 53 through 58, here we go. This is where Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. He's not talking about believing in the existence of God. It's bigger than that. It's deeper than that. He says, you have no life in you unless you consume everything that I am. Use it to redefine what you are. 
Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. And frustration upon frustration mounts because too many people think this is crazy until it's too late. And if this is something you believe in, this is something you follow, people are going to see you, talk to you, show you, tell you that you're crazy too. And they're going to hate you because of it. I can't, there's a, such a huge list of people that hate me. That's a part of embracing the crazy. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. You know what it's like? You know what it's like to live a life, to teach a message, to be a part of a mission or ministry where half the people in the world would love it if you were dead. That's the crazy life you're embracing. And it is crazy to a fallen world. It's a challenge. It's a challenge, but it's not until we embrace it. It's not until we embrace the foolishness of Scripture that we'll have both feet in the eternal kingdom. The banquet is prepared and people are dying of hunger because they refuse to participate, partake of the banquet. Jesus knows they think this is crazy. He says as much in the next verse, uh, 1662. On hearing it, many of the disciples said, this is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about it, Jesus said to them, hey, does this offend you? <laughs> I love the way he teaches sometimes. I can't really pull that off. He says, you got a problem with this? Right? You think this is crazy? He then says, what if you saw the Son of Man ascend to the right hand of the Father? In other words, he's asking them, look, if you don't believe in this, you really think you're going to believe what is to come? If you can't wrap your mind around this, wait till you see what happens tomorrow. I'm telling you to take from me what I teach, the way I see life to love people, to serve people, to give of yourself, to honor the Father. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus says, if you can't wrap your mind around that, there is no way you're going to accept that I rise from the dead and ascend to the side of the Father. That's why he tells the Jewish leaders, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm only going to give you one, the sign of Jonah. I'm going to be buried for three days. And at the end of that third day, the ground's going to spit me out. He said, that's what's to come. And you've got to be able to wrap your minds around this. He says, don't let this offend you. Don't let this make you angry. He says, this is real life. If you can't accept to consume me in every part of your life, you may as well walk away because you're not going to accept the resurrection, much less the ascension. Acceptance of holiness, acceptance of consuming, feeding on Jesus, his very character. Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. That is the saddest verse in Scripture. There they are. Can you imagine? What would it be like? You know, you could, you could, you could, could have asked some questions. You could have got some clarification. You could have sought. You could it was something. And they left. They walked away. You're probably familiar with the saying, don't be that guy, right? Don't be that guy. <laughs> don't be that one that says, no, this is too hard. I'm out. I'm out. Then Jesus asks you a question. 
After all these people are walking away, Jesus asks you a question. Now, it's directed to the disciples. But it's the same question he asked you, the same question he asked me. And the same question he asked me in various moments of difficulty and spiritual struggle in my life. Verse 67, what about you? You want to leave? Everybody's walking away, and he turns to the 12, he turns to you, he turns to me. It's gut check time. He says, what do you want to do? You going to stick around, or are you going to go? Because temporarily, those people walking away, they got it real easy. Temporarily, they got it real easy. You want to go with them? He's offering them an invitation to walk out, and he will not stop them. He cares about them, and he always wants to strengthen weak in faith. But church, you're not prisoners. And Jesus isn't going to treat you that way. You want to go? Go. You want to stay? Stay. He wants trust. This is decision time. People are walking away. People are dying. That's what they're doing when they walk away. People are dying. Jesus does not call after them, and he does not change his message. He knows it sounds crazy, and he knows few can accept it. And why does it sound crazy? Because we are hearing of what we so rarely hear in life, unvarnished truth. It's an anomaly. They heard it, and they can't accept it. So what's our proper response? Well, leave it to Peter to speak up, right? That's what Peter does. And he does it well. Now, we can, we can kind of poke fun at that, I guess, but... Peter's an incredible individual throughout history. Peter gives the response in verse, uh, verses 68-69. He says, Lord, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? In fact, he says, you have, we've been with you long enough that we've seen that you have everything we need. You have everything we need. You are the Holy One of God. That's the response, church. When given the opportunity, when given the chance, when Jesus says you're in the kingdom, Jesus says you want to go, your response is, Jesus, i got no other place to go. This is my life. I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to embrace it. That's what Peter's doing. He's embracing the foolishness of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love... Sometimes, Father, i got to be honest, we hate the challenges. But I love that you challenge us. I love that you hold a mirror up to our heart and our life. And you ask us who we are, what we are. I ask us, I thank you, Father, that you, you care enough to help us grow from where we are today to what we might become. So, Father, I ask that, just just personally, I ask that you help me to take Jesus' words very seriously here. Tomorrow, that I, I, I find it important to consume what he is, the way he sees, the way he, he feels. And Father, I know, I know I'm going to gain some enemies in the process. I know we will. But we won't lose you. I thank you for that. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
Tell the world of the treasure you found. Jesus is calling This is a hard teaching, right? That's what the disciples say. Who can accept it? And some walked away. And it gets harder than this. If you want to walk away, look, I'm not going to stop you. I hope you don't. I don't care though. I mean, if we got to whittle down to 12 people. Jesus took 12 people who absolutely embraced what he said and he stormed the gates of hell with them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the love of Jesus. We thank you that he wants us to be the creation that he made. And that we get a chance to do that. That we get a chance to to be stretched and to be challenged and to be pushed. We get a chance to live out the character of a God. Father, we ask you, make that an important part, a priority, a necessary nourishment in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.